This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. to share a sexual secret. It's okay to talk about what you miss, and it doesn't make you any less attractive. In fact, if you can do that from a place of confidence, like this is who I am, this is what's working, this is what isn't working, that that can actually be very attractive, very connecting, and make your partner much more interested in connecting with you. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about your heart health. We'll hear how to store and use fresh herbs. We'll discuss how to kickstart your sex life. And lastly, we'll consider how to change unwanted habits. But first, a little bit of business. Wayne Elliott here to share my great experience over the past 20 years with Strauss Heart Drops. If you've had bypass surgery, stents, have angina, diabetes, cold hands and feet, grayish blue lips or skin, I urge you to try Strauss Heart Drops and feel better again soon. Strauss Heart Drops saved my life and thousands of others without risk or harm. Go to straussnaturals.ca to order online or find a store near you. I promise you won't be sorry. I hope you give this to yourself. Thank you. Honest opinions on health and wellness. Wayne Elliott has used his experience of over 25 years to help anyone he can use natural remedies to better their everyday lives. An advocate for natural health and wellness, Wayne has worked tirelessly to ensure that those around him live their very best lives. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Always well. Thanks, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing well today. So we're going to talk uh, heart and immune health today, yeah? Sure. Where would you like to start? Well, we can start right there, I guess, with heart health, Jamie. Our number one killer is, uh, is heart disease, heart attack and stroke. And the Strauss heart drops, of course have shown for 40 years now, including on myself, to dissolve, safely dissolve that plaque and cholesterol anywhere in our bodies, not just our major heart arteries, tiny vessels behind, into our eyes and into our ears even, uh, every capillary going to our skin. And we have some 50,000 miles of blood carrying vessels and veins in us, Jamie, which is incredible. I still can hardly get my head around that. But the reason for it is that every single one of our cells needs blood. So it's the most important body function. It's life. It's energy. So the Strauss heart drops to make sure blood flows everywhere it's supposed to. We have a vessel to carry it. The CardioCalm formula by Strauss is for damaged, repair damaged heart cells and for irregular heartbeat. Wonderful formula. Fixed my irregular heartbeat 22 years ago, and I have not had it since. And the kidney blood pressure, of course, blood pressure or the silent killer, as it's often referred to, is either our heart or our kidneys. Those are the only two causes. So between Strauss heart drops and the Strauss kidney blood pressure formula, very effective. In my case, it was my kidneys. And as I say, and again, for 22 years now, I've had no high blood pressure. So these are not things that you have to take every day for life. They're treatments, really, Jamie. When it comes to the immune system, well, 
kind of ironically, because I don't believe the Strauss heart drops were created with that in mind. They were created to dissolve plaque and cholesterol from Jim Strauss. That's when they were created 40 years ago, was for Jim, after a massive heart attack. But the number one main ingredient, Jamie, is aged garlic extract. And that is the single best natural substance for immune support on earth. That's our best. So there's aged garlic extract, of course, is a main ingredient in the heart drops. There's other great products uh, on the market by various uh, people, but uh, just to talk about the ones I'm, I'm most familiar with, Strauss makes a product called Smooth Oregano. And I was thrilled when I got my hands on this, uh, Jamie, last year, because the benefits of oregano are, are known for uh, generations, just as a great bug killer. That Oregano does so many things, but very supportive of our immune system, helping us fight off these creatures and various things that can get in us, invade us. And I, I've tried three times in my past 20 years to take oil of oregano, and I never could. It was too hot for me in my mouth, and it would give me indigestion or heartburn when I took it. It just didn't agree with me a bit. So when I found this, uh, heard of the Strauss Smooth Oregano, I had to try it. It's spearmint flavored. It's easy to take. It and another product I'd like to mention in a minute, Cold Storm, have the rare designation that they are safe for pregnant mothers and children. It isn't too often that you see that, even with a natural product, whether they are safe or not is up for argument, I would say, but these have the designation that they're safe for pregnant, expecting mothers and children, both a smooth oregano. So it's easy to take, tasty, really. I had no issues. I had no indigestion, certainly no burning. And uh, boy, do they work. They'll work on things, Jamie, like yeast in our bodies. I've always eaten too much uh, sweets for years and years and years. And uh, so it wasn't a surprise. You know, I'm one of the cookie monsters, I guess, or have been. <laughs> wasn't a surprise that I'd have yeast in my body. And boy, when I took this, it worked immediately. I first took it for a straight month. And here's another thing about yeast. When yeast that's in your body gets killed, your body really wants it out. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that was another signal that it was working so well. So that smooth oregano, just great for immune support. And the Cold Storm product is a garlic-based again, so again, no surprise. And boy, has it been popular for colds and both to prevent, I take it, Jamie, and when people get a cold or a head cold, there's so many reports of getting better quickly. The one last product that uh, I love and it's part of my daily regime is a product called Agrumax. And Agrumax is, is nothing more than citrus fruit seed oils. It's the oils from the seeds of citrus fruit. So if you've ever chewed an orange or lemon or lime seed, you'll know it's bitter. Yep. That's just what it tastes like in water. You put up to 10 drops in a full glass of water. And you remember when the explorers were sailing the earth, Jamie, they would get scurvy. Right. And uh, scurvy is a form of cancer. And, of course, what did they need when they arrived in America or elsewhere was citrus fruit for that scurvy. So it's a great alkalizer, Agrimax is, and uh, just now available in Canada, which is, is pretty exciting. I've been getting it from the U.S. for years and years, and it's uh, antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, and uh, shown to be very effective against the likes of candida, 
all these things, candida, yeast, parasites, they're, you know, we have bacteria. We have good bacteria and we have bad bacteria. And, of course, it's keeping the balance that's key so that our immune system, which is our defense department, can work properly. When our immune system is suppressed, and that happens to a certain extent when we are stressed as well, Jamie, and that's, it kind of distresses me these days with the isolation over corona and so forth and people isolated. You know, we're social creatures, so there's plenty of anxiety out there. So many folks either out of a job or not sure if there's a job to go back to and uh, undoubtedly financial pressures. So there's a, a lot of anxiety out there, Jamie. There's no doubt about it. And when we get stressed, our immune system, our cells kind of take the flight option instead of the fight option. Yep. A great uh, video, I think we mentioned it last time, by Dr. Bruce Lipton, entitled, you can Google this, any of the listeners that care to. It's 10 minutes long only, great graphics, and it's called Never Get Sick Again. And I was a little alarmed myself. I knew that stress kills, and we've all heard that uh, tons of times. And, of course, not feeling well is never good. But I never realized how. And Dr. Lipton really illustrates that well with graphics. Never Get Sick Again by Dr. Bruce Lipton. So, you know, it's an extra struggle today, Jamie, to keep our immune systems healthy. So many genetically modified foods, so many chemicals in our lives, man-made chemicals. Every disease is on the rise, and we seem to have new syndromes and ailments routinely, Jamie, don't we? It just seems that every month or two there's another syndrome of one type or another. And my personal belief is it's you know, we're not in as good a general health as we used to be. And, of course, some of the reasons are those chemicals and man-made foods, genetically modified foods. So it's a real challenge today, and I don't think there's ever been a more important time to supplement our health and take some of these things. I know I take a, a raft of supplements. It's just, you know, I'm 66 years old now, so I know that my body doesn't absorb vitamin D from the sun as well as yours might or a younger person's might, one of my sons. So I supplement with, with vitamin D now. I never used to. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've really got to be conscious of this because it's, it's a bit of a rigged game against us these days. You know, when I was born, there were no genetically modified foods. Everything was natural, real, had all the enzymes that nature put there. And if one could afford it, you could eat good natural food and nothing but. And then, you know, I, at some point it was decided that we couldn't feed the world's population and these GMO man-made foods were, were started. I just listened to a video where I was kind of shocked. Bill Gates was saying that he's heavily invested in the laboratory animal research and, and business. So this is, this is cloned animals for our foods. And I remember years ago, Jamie, talking to Jim Strauss. On the, uh, he was here for a month, years and years ago, 20 years ago. And they said on the radio that Dolly, the clone sheep, had died. Yep. And she died at three years of age, which was young for a sheep to die. And that she had arthritis in her legs before she died. And apparently, I wouldn't have known this, but apparently when sheep get arthritis, it isn't there and it's not at that age. So they finished the news report off by saying that Health Canada had several applications before it to clone animals for our food. And I was driving, and I looked at Jim Strauss sitting in the passenger seat, and I said, did you hear that, Jim? And he didn't answer. 
and I spoke a little louder. I said, Jim, did you hear what they just said on the radio? And he yelled out, they'll make monsters, meaning that it was just an insane idea in his, his mind, just as genetically modified foods are in, as far as he was concerned. You know, you can't duplicate nature, Jamie. Nature doesn't duplicate itself, does it? No two snowflakes, no two pine trees, no two giraffes alike. And uh, that's where we get our strength from, is that biodiversity. So these GMO foods, they all look the same almost, like they came out of a machine. You know, you might remember your grandma's tomatoes, that some were odd-shaped, and some looked like they had a half a tomato growing out the side of them, and yeah. different sizes. Well, that was natural, you see. Yep. I guess there was no two tomatoes alike. Now when you go in the store, you can sure see some similar ones, can't you? It's true enough. And seedless. Seedless, of course, which is GMO. It takes a seed to reproduce anything, a human, a pine tree, a giraffe, anything. It takes a seed to reproduce. So anything that cannot reproduce itself has a very weak or no immune system of its own. And uh, if we eat foods that have no or little immune system of their own, that's seems to be why our immune systems become weaker, or one, certainly one of the reasons, Jamie, hmm. is eating these foods, and some of them taste great. Take the world's favorite fruit, a banana. Yeah, I was going to mention bananas, because I think they're sterile, aren't they? Oh, don't think it, my friend. There isn't one of your listeners that's had a real one in years and years, yep. and I can't find them anymore. It's kind of this, uh, I love bananas, but it's this endless search I've been on for a few years now, organic, even the little bananas that they call figs in the island the little shorter bananas, they're GMO now too. It's pretty rare to find a real one. And you'll remember, at least listeners old enough will remember when you bit into a banana, there was just a ton of tiny black seeds in the center. Yep. And from your teeth marks, it was shiny as though it was slippery. Well, today when you break one, I do it almost daily here, the office, anywhere there's a banana, open it up, break it open. It's chalky looking. Some taste very much like bananas. Others taste like artificial banana flavoring to me. My first business was a Dairy Queen when I was a kid, and for the banana milkshakes, there was a syrup that was used, and that's what some of these bananas taste like to me. And some just really lack taste, period. But you remember, Jamie, when bananas, when you'd bite into it, it would be shiny. Yeah. Well, no more. I defy you to find one. You're just not going to. Strauss told me 20 years ago, he said, Wayne, in about 10 years, 8 or 10 years, there'll be no more real bananas. And if you ever have a real banana, you'll know you're at a very wealthy person's house. I thought that was, you know, that was interesting. And then sure enough, exactly what he said came true. And I swear to you, Jamie, I do buy bananas. <laughs> I keep yeah. throwing them out because I just keep hoping for, if you find a real banana, there's a very healthy thing for you. You haven't found any in Canada recently with seeds? No, I haven't found one in over five years now. Yeah, I don't think I've seen them. No. What a shame. I mean, so obviously, just from appearance alone, you can see that it isn't like a natural banana. Some of the ways they discolor too, Jamie, bother me, these bananas. And I don't know it's not a bruise, but it's a, it's almost a rust color that different spots on the ins on the banana fruit itself. And I, I wonder, you know, is there a bug that's got in there or what the heck is the cause of that? Because it's not the color of a banana bruise. So when I see that, I, you know, immediately into the garbage. I should stop that soon because I've wasted a lot of fake bananas, I'll tell you. Well, yeah, and you don't, if, you know, if you're not happy with sterile bananas, you shouldn't be supporting it. But I hear you. You're absolutely right. But it amazes me. I have to believe a lot of people have noticed 
this, Jamie, and yet I talk to a lot of people that have not noticed the difference in the bananas. And You know, Wayne, I don't think people conceptualize food that way. I don't think they really think about where the food is coming from. You know, I, I think COVID is required, like people that don't normally cook are now cooking and baking and they're using, you know, fresh ingredients. And I think they're turning their mind to it. But, you know, most people, I don't know that they have the time to think about it. Well, you're probably right. Or haven't had the benefit of somebody like Jim Strauss, you know, giving yeah. them the understanding. And so you're probably correct there. You know, the first GMO food was the tomato. Right. They called it Everfresh and it came in a cellophane tube. They were kind of pink, and you could probably play tennis with them for a week, and then you might use them in a sauce or something, but you couldn't eat them. Right. So they scrapped that one, but they've gotten pretty good at it, Jamie. I mean, a lot of these veggies, let's face it, do taste good, but the big clue is if they're seedless, they're not natural, and then you can at least make the choice. Yeah, you know, and my way around it is we've got a working garden with, you know, I have black raspberries in my backyard, blueberries, all sorts of perennial plants like mustard greens, a rhubarb. Beautiful. So I know where it's coming from, and obviously it's natural because it's seeding itself. Well, I'll tell you another thing, Jamie, if you want to grow it in just wonderful 100% natural substance, yep. go on the internet, folks, you can see Iron Earth, Iron Earth Canada. I have experience with that three years of trials, Jamie, and it's 100% natural, comes right out of the earth in the southern United States, and it has all 76 minerals, high acids, humate, humic acids, and wow, the results we got out in the community garden and a couple of my son's big vegetable gardens was, was something else. So if you want to eat totally chemical-free food, try that iron earth. It's something else. I, I'd vouch for that any day. Fantastic. Wayne, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always my pleasure, Jamie. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Ever wonder if your probiotics are really working for you? To fully benefit from probiotics, you need to ensure they're not destroyed by your stomach acids. Clinical studies prove that enteric coating guarantees safe intestinal delivery of live active probiotic cells. New Roots Herbal offers a variety of enteric coated probiotics formulated to meet your specific needs. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. Find them in the refrigerated section. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Shauna Linzen, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalinzen.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Good, Jamie. How are you? I am good. I'm busy working in the garden and doing gardeny things because that's the way I roll. And we're going to kind of talk about that today, huh? Yeah. Isn't this the best time of year? It is. It's, it's exciting. We can get outside. We can grow food. I love it. Yeah. So I know that you have an idea of what the essential herbs are. 
that we can grow in our gardens. So I want to hear yours and then I'll tell you mine, okay? Yeah, and it's interesting because I think in my head, if we want to say like, let's say the top five herbs, Mm -hmm. I actually think of at the beginning when I think of which ones are essential, I think basil, mint, parsley, and then I start getting into things like chives, rosemary, sage, tarragon. So I would say the essentials are basil, mint, parsley, chives, because we tend to use those most often. But the other ones, it just depends on your taste buds and your cooking style and maybe your ethnicity, like what types of dishes you use on a weekly basis. Yeah. Also, a lot of what directs me is what can we actually grow effectively and what will come back. So chives are up there for me. They grow very well in our climate and come back every year. Oregano is another Mm -hmm. one that's tops for me because I make a lot of pizza sauce, et cetera. And that also comes back. I would put rosemary and thyme up there. I use a lot of thyme, probably more than any other herb. And that's a good one. It doesn't necessarily, it'll grow back for a year, but you know, you have to replant every couple of years with thyme. I don't like parsley. I just, I find like it doesn't add anything to what I'm cooking. I know a lot of people like it and use it, not for me. And mint is fantastic. You just have to be careful with it in the garden because once you plant it, it just spreads like wildfire. It goes crazy. And what I usually do with mint is I will plant it in a separate container to contain it. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have it in a separate area from the rest of the herbs. They're not in my raised garden because they would take over completely. And what's funny, um, mint tends to, around my herbs every year, little sprigs of mint come up. It's like the wind blows it or something and it plants itself. Yeah, no. And obviously, you know, for those who aren't comfortable gardening or haven't done a lot, you know, it's great to have a plant that is so low maintenance and so well acclimatized the Toronto area. So like if you want, you plant mint, you pretty much have to do nothing other than put it in the ground. And it makes you feel good. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. You feel like you're, (laughs) you feel like you're a superstar. Yeah. You're a superstar. True. Okay. So now that we're growing the herbs, what do we do with them? Okay. So there's many things to do. So when I think of different herbs like basil, as you mentioned with the Italian root, basil is great for pesto. Mm -hmm. There's also different types of basil. So I really enjoy Thai basil, which Mm -hmm. has a bit of an anise type of flavor to it. Yeah. It's like a a little bit of licorice in there. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just absolutely fantastic on different Asian dishes. Like if you're making like a ramen bowl or Mm -hmm. that type of thing. And like, for instance, last night I made a homemade pizza and I took my fresh basil and I just ripped it onto the pizza. Mm -hmm. So herbs, some people think of herbs as just a garnish. Like, let's say you just mentioned parsley. Mm-hmm. With parsley, it is kind of a traditional garnish, but I really inspire people to use herbs as a lettuce green. Like, add it into salads, mm-hmm. like put some fresh dill, fresh mint, fresh basil into the green leafy salads, and you won't believe how it changes the flavor. Yeah. So, I mean, some herbs are better at that than others, right? Yeah. So which ones would you use? For a salad? Mm-hmm. Basil does very well in a salad, I think. I find oregano a bit much, but I know people enjoy it. What would you use? So it depends on the salad. So if I'm going to couple the herb with citrus, yeah. I would do, like if I did, let's say, a spinach salad with orange slices in it, tarragon, I think, works perfectly in there. And then you can actually add some like toasted fennel seeds. So you can start mixing the herbs with different seeds. Well, fennel and orange goes 
together beautifully. I can't stand tarragon. I'm not a fan of tarragon, so it never, it never yeah. that that and cilantro are two that I. Just, oh, you have the I hate cilantro gene. I do. Yeah. See, I have the I love cilantro gene, yeah. and I love tarragon. There you go. Yeah. So maybe there's kind of a divided camp there. People, there is, but you can yeah. find what you like. I find just going back. Sometimes when I'm grilling a steak, I will put a chimichurri together from the fresh yeah. herbs. And, you know, you can even put mint in that and it will work, right? It like will if you pop be- it up, yeah. And I agree with you. And the interesting thing is when we talk about, like, marinating steak, I would much rather do a simple steak with salt and pepper yep. and then put it on top of a chimichurri or put the chimichurri on top of it. And every bite you eat, you get that, like, strong, fresh herb, garlicky flavor it's literally magic in your mouth yeah i mean if you've got a good cut of meat you probably don't need to marinate it like you know some cuts because they're tougher you do but if you're cooking a new york or a rib steak really really salt and pepper is all you need that's all you need but chimichurri if you kind of want to slice it up and have like a bright green sauce on it can make a huge difference Exactly. And there's also things like salsa verde. You can put a mix. And what's good about herbs is you can really mix it up according to your taste. So if you have the I hate cilantro gene, use parsley, basil, mint. Or what I like to do is I I like to, as I just said, mix them up and just put like, let's say a little bit of mint. I usually don't make mint the main herb. Like I'll make basil the main herb and then put a little bit of mint. Yeah, no, mint can overpower. Exactly. But you you know, but you, you know, you can use it in a pesto if you have a light touch with it. You know, like there are ways you can use it. You know, you can use it for drinks or you can make mint tea with it, which is fantastic. That's so true. Like mint, the strength of mint can work in your favor. Like yep. in mint tea, as you said, or like an alcoholic drink, like you can muddle the mint yep. and it really pops out the flavor and it wakes it up almost like salt would wake something up, right? Like the fresh herb just wakes up the food. Okay, so for those who don't know, what's the difference between a dried herb and a fresh herb in terms of its use? Okay, so the dried herbs are more potent than a fresh herb. So you actually need less of a dried herb. So if you're looking for a ratio, if you're reading a recipe and you only have one or the other, The rule of thumb is to take one tablespoon of fresh herb and convert that to one teaspoon of dried herb because it's a lot more potent, the dried herb. It's concentrated more or less. Okay. And And it has a different flavor as well, right? Yeah. It's a lot more intense. Fresh herbs aren't going to... Uh, overpower yeah unless you're gonna like get the oils out of the herbs by sort of warming them like you know the herbs themselves are not going to give you the same punch as a dried herb exactly and the other thing is with a dried herb let's say you're making a frittata you can actually distribute the dried herb better than the fresh herb so for instance, dried basil, I would use that in the egg mixture rather than chiffonading like a basil leaf because it's going to distribute better. So you have to also think about what application you're using it in. 100%. And for basil, it's a very delicate leaf. Like once you clean it, like once you run it underwater, even lightly, it's going to start to discolor and lose its firmness and bruise and turn black. So you really, with basil, pesto is perfect because you're, you're almost mulching it, but, and in salads, it's fine for cooking. It's kind of awkward. You kind of want to put it in at the end in sauces. You don't want to start with it. Exactly. And the more woody an herb is, usually you would use it at the beginning of cooking and like the more subtle and soft an herb is like you would put it after cooking, right? Yeah. Like time you can almost use at the 
beginning, whereas basil I would only use at the end if I were putting it in a sauce. That would... Yeah, and you can actually divide the herbs into hard herbs and soft herbs. And yep. storage-wise, yeah. it's also in terms of the different herbs, what I would suggest is the harder herbs, like the herbs that have a stem, for instance, yeah. what you want to do is you can actually put those into water. And basil doesn't like the cold. It likes more of like a room temperature. Mm-hmm in terms of not making it turn black. And so what you can do is just immerse it in water, put a plastic covering over. I've actually, I think this is a great tip. You can put a hairnet over it, hmm. like a plastic hairnet. Isn't that a great tip? That I is a great that tip. My experience with basil is no matter what you're doing, you kind of have to use it in the first couple of days. So, I agree. So, yeah. so you might, like, if you really like basil, you should probably plant it or have like a window sill with some fresh basil in it, or just be prepared to use it when you buy it. That would be yeah, my advice. It, I agree. It, it, it doesn't really you, store well. If you don't, just put it in the water, put, you know, cover yeah. it. And other herbs, like soft herbs, like let's say dill or cilantro, a good way to store them would be to wrap them loosely in a paper towel that's slightly damp mm-hmm. and then put it in an airtight container. That will actually hold the herb for around a week. Right. Beyond a week, you really the fresh herbs aren't really going to help you that much. Uh, I agree. Yeah, they become discolored, and yeah, they don't look. If they don't look so good, they're not going to taste so good. Well, that makes a lot of sense. We have time for one last piece of advice. What do you have for us? Okay, so if you're going to plant your herbs, store your herbs, buy them in small amounts. Like if you're going to buy them, if you're going to plant them, just go crazy, enjoy yourself. But buying them, just buy them in smaller amounts. And if you do have herbs that are wilting in the fridge. Don't only use them as a garnish, throw them into things, garnish things, put them on top of things. I have lots of people saying that they're wilting in the fridge. They don't need to. Just kind of be cognizant of incorporating them into all of your recipes. Do you advocate freezing them? Can you save them that way? Like process them and make them into little cubes or something? Yeah. So if you put them in ice cubes, but one tip in that regard is to, if you're putting them in ice cube trays, put a little bit of water on top because that will help store them better or put a little bit of oil and that will help against discoloration. Great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Take care. Next month, you're going to be back to discuss grilling, right? Yes, excited about that. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss rebooting your sex life on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. 
Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop center. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. You can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com, and she can be contacted at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm well, thanks. It's always great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. And today we're doing a forward-thinking piece, right? <laughs> it's all about optimism. Yeah, absolutely. We Well, we have to remain optimistic at this time. We have to have hope. I agree. So we're going to talk about getting back into our sex lives, kickstarting, rebooting, whatever, which way you want to call it. So, you know, obviously the obvious one is, you know, everybody coming out of quarantine from COVID. But what are some of the other circumstances that people might be sort of find themselves in a position to kickstart their sex lives? So sometimes it can be life events like a divorce and then starting a new relationship. Sometimes it's within the same relationship and the kids have grown up and now you've decided to rekindle things or you've decided like, you know what, so-and-so, sometimes somebody else's death or somebody else's divorce makes you kind of wake up and say, hmm, you know what, <laughs> I want to change things up. Sometimes if we come out of a depression where sex was not very much on our minds, sometimes when we've been busy, whether it's work, caring for our kids, caring for elderly parents or somebody else close to us, And I've known people who, like, you know, were happily single and all out of the blue, they fell in love or somebody pursued them or they started exercising, they started feeling good, and all of a sudden they started noticing everybody else who looked good and their libido came back. Yeah, sometimes it's a midlife crisis, but you never know. Yeah. So what are some of the issues facing somebody who may find themselves wanting to sort of get back into the swing of things? It depends a bit on how long you've been, you know, since you've been dating or rekindling the spark. Certainly if you're dating new people, you know, there's now everything's online, safer sex has changed, there's different priorities. But even if you're with, you know, the same partner, our sex drive naturally decreases over time. And if you haven't really had sex for a while, you might feel like, wow, this is really different as opposed to noticing a gradual shift. As we age, we also need more stimulation. And that might come as a surprise. We're like, wow, this used to work and it's not working anymore. Um, You know, or if you have any kind of illness or if you're struggling with depression, you're on medications, all of those things will change how we respond. Sometimes our self-confidence is different because, you know, the media doesn't seem to think that older people are sexy. The media doesn't seem to think that if your body's a little bit different because you had a baby or because of illness or you haven't had time to work out or just that you don't look like somebody on a poster that you shouldn't be having sex. But, you know, everybody deserves to have sex. Everybody's beautiful, but we sometimes struggle with that. And sometimes, too, it's, you know, you've been at home 24-7 with someone, like, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Right. (laughs) You know, you face-to-face with someone every day, and it's a bit like, oh, now we're going to switch over to having sex? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you know, even, even like, finding that you have more privacy, you know, like, even with things opening up and people getting out of the house, all of a sudden, you have the time and space and privacy to do what you may not have been able to do over the last months, you know? So mm-hmm. Yeah, and those changes sometimes are exciting and welcome, and sometimes they're jarring, yeah. right? And we don't always respond to them and react to them the way that we expect we would or that we think that we're supposed to. So let's talk about what people can do to help them sort of get things going. Yeah, I mean, I think 
the first thing is to just acknowledge that there's a difference. Acknowledge, like, you know what, we really haven't had sex in a while, or, you know, we haven't prioritized this in a while. I haven't put effort into it. Always taking responsibility for yourself is good, mm-hmm. rather than just kind of pretending. <laughs> it's yep. really awkward, right? Yep. There's this elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. So don't ignore it and just talk about what's going on for you and, you know, and what's important to you. Another thing you can do is kind of revisit what worked, right? Where did you go on a first date? What were some hot times that you had that you've sort of forgotten about? And they're not going to be the same, but they might be kind of fun to revisit as long as we are open to a new spark rather than expecting it's going to be the same spark. So you're looking at it for inspiration, not necessarily reminiscence, right? Yeah, exactly. And it can be kind of, but try not to replicate it, right? Yeah. What are the elements that were important? What worked for you? And what's going to be different now? And that goes with everything, right? That every time we have sex, if we expect it to feel the same, we're going to be robotic, right? Oh, I know you like this, and then you like this, and then you do that, and then I do that, and then da-da-da, right? That kind of robotic sex gets boring. So we need to always think about, like, what's new and different? How does my partner respond differently? And my favorite parable I've probably said before on the show is we never step in the same river twice, right? Our partner is not the same person they were yesterday. And so what's different about them? How can I touch them differently? How am I responding differently? What? How does the mood affect it? And really being open and honest about our responses, what we like, what we don't like, you know, allowing us to be vulnerable and being okay with being vulnerable. It's okay to take a risk. It's okay to share a sexual secret. It's okay to talk about what you miss. And it doesn't make you any less attractive. In fact, if you can do that from a place of confidence, like this is who I am, this is what's working, this is what isn't working, that that can actually be very attractive, very connecting, and make your partner much more interested in connecting with you rather than coming from a place of what we think of as strength, that there's that strength and vulnerability. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I I think it's probably easier if you've had a long-term partner, you know, like to take that leap, you know, to hold hands and, and explore that way is easier, I think, if you know somebody. It is and it isn't, right? It depends on the person. Sometimes it's harder to do that with someone where there's more at stake. Yeah, I Where suppose. you've got a mortgage, you still have, you know, young kids. You just think like, oh my God, if I rock the boat now, what's going to happen, right? And our mm-hmm. fears take over us. And we don't give our partners credit for being able to handle it. And sometimes that's a valid you know, perception. And sometimes it's that longevity. If we have a solid foundation, then we feel like we can go there. But if we haven't established a solid foundation, sometimes it makes it harder to do those kinds of things and to be vulnerable. So, you know, it's never too late to start and we can start with little things. You might not necessarily want to start with like, so (laughs) the sex we've been having for 20 years really isn't working for me. Yeah, we need to change it up completely. Yeah. But say like, hey, you know, I I, I miss you and I I miss our connection. You know, do you feel the same way? Right. That's a little risk. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, when you test those waters, you can take a little bit bigger risk and you can try some other things. Right. You You can try and reconnect in other ways. I I know that, you know, communication is paramount for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So how can we move forward on that front? 
to start from ourselves, you know, take responsibility for, you know what, I haven't prioritized this. I haven't been honest with you. I've been so busy that I've been avoiding sex. I've been just going through the motions because it's been too hard to talk about, right? Take that on and then you're much more likely to have an open partner who's willing to say, you know what, I've played a part in this too, right? Hopefully Um, that's the response. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, to express, I think there's, you can never express too much gratitude. You know what? I appreciate that you've stuck with me through this. I appreciate that you bring me coffee every morning. I appreciate, you know, that you made a fabulous dinner. I appreciate that you go to work every day, that you stay at home and entertain the kids because I never, I I couldn't do that. You know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, communicating the positives and taking our own responsibility. And then I think it's really important to clear the air. We build up resentments about smallest things from, you know, you came home late and I had a full dinner prepared and I didn't feel like you really acknowledged that. And that can linger for years and really impact how we interact with each other, you know, if we feel taken for granted. I mean, obviously, if there are big things like, you know, infidelity or lies or any way that you feel like your partner didn't trust you, you know, those are a little bit bigger. But sometimes, again, starting with the little things like, you know, I sometimes I feel like I make your coffee and you don't really notice it, (laughs) you know, you sort of start to expect it. And then I start to feel resentful. I don't know if I want to make it anymore for you, right? And what's important about that is that if we can clear the air, sometimes, you know, if we give our partner the opportunity and rather than 20 years later, like, you know, I never had sex with you because you never said thank you. You know, it's like, wow, you didn't give me the opportunity to notice. You know, I thought I was saying thank you by doing this other thing for you. Right. I didn't realize that was so important. So communicating about what's working, what's not working, and communicating about what kind of sex, you know, you do want to have, what would be exciting, and talking through some of those things. And it might be that you don't, you don't know, right? Like, I don't know what would turn me on. Okay, well, let's figure it out together. This can be something, some way to connect together rather than connecting over the kids or daycare or finances or going to the in-laws or fixing things, right? To have something that's a little bit more fun to do together, that's a little bit more risk-taking for both of you, that's a little bit more connecting. Those are ways that you can start to build that trust and deepen that connection. Okay, we have time for really one more area, one more yeah. one more question, and that is for those who don't, who have the desire, but perhaps not the imagination, can you come up with a few quick ideas that might stoke the fires? Right. I mean, there's so many online resources now. Yeah. And, you know, Laura Korn's books, You Still Give Me Butterflies, 52 Invitations to Great Sex. They give you a whole, like, recipe, right? Of, yeah. Here's a night to plan things. So you don't even have to think about it. And I actually came up with four erotic recipes that are on my website, goodforher.com, that we did around Valentine's Day about here's like beginning to end how to plan a special night, right? Yeah. Um, And then there are lots of great other resources. So Esther Perel has a great book called Mating in Captivity, and she has a TED Talk that you can watch that's all about how to create desire and adventure when you're in a very stable, predictable relationship. So Esther Perel is a great other resource to connect with. Fantastic. We'll put links on the website for those who are interested. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You'll be back next month to discuss more issues on sexuality.
I will. See you then. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to kick unwanted habits on The Tonic. Jack Nathan Health offers Canadians convenient care with 74 multidisciplinary clinics located within Walmart stores. The largest ever Jack Nathan Health Medical Center is now open in Vaughan, Ontario at 8300 Highway 27. The new 8300 square foot clinic offers integrated services for the whole family, including family medicine, physiotherapy and chiropractic, chronic pain management, massage and a registered dietitian. There's also an on-site Dynacare blood laboratory plus same-day referrals, walk-in appointments and a new annual health assessment option. Jack Nathan Health is a one-stop shop for proactive health management. For more information, visit jacknathanhealth.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Combining over 30 years in the field of self-development, Rod McDonald is the CEO of the Certified Coaches Federation, one of the largest coach education companies in the world. He's a speaker and coach and author. For more information on the Certified Coaches Federation, visit CertifiedCoachesFederation.com. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jamie. It's great to be here. We were noodling as to what we should talk about today, and I think... A lot of people who have time on their hands because of, you know, being idle from work, let's call it, are thinking about trying to break some bad habits that they might have. And I thought, who better than you to help along that journey? Thank you. Yeah. So why do you think people struggle with bad habits? Well, it's kind of easy to explain and hard to fix. Yeah. So, you know, we all get used to things in our lives. And when we live in the sort of, you know, developed world that we do in in North America, we don't have to worry so much about, you know, bombs dropping and frequent natural disasters and things like that, thankfully. And so we get into habits quite easily. And so from a very young age, we're taught typically by our parents or whoever our caregivers might have been to believe in certain things and to act in certain ways. And when we repeat something like that often enough, and it actually doesn't take that much time, but when we repeat something often enough, it becomes ingrained in our subconscious mind as a habit. Yeah, I think that's true. Do you subscribe to the notion that there are some people who are more susceptible to habits than others, like there are addictive personalities sort of genetically? Do you believe that? Absolutely. And that just goes to the unique aspects and differentiation between people and their genetic wiring and their DNA combinations from their parents and grandparents and so on, that some people are tend towards more analytical things, some people tend to more creative things, and yes, some people tend to create habits and on the sort of darker side addictions more easily. Yeah, I mean, I believe that on some levels we're genetically predisposed to being, you know, having addictive personalities. I tend towards that. You know, if I like something or I don't like something, I'll throw myself in one direction or another. I used to joke that the family motto is more is better. You know, and a lot of that drove, you know, my weight problems because in part I'm an emotional eater, but I enjoy my food. Like I like to eat. 
in a way that perhaps my wife doesn't. She enjoys food, but she has total control over portions and, you know, how she's going to enjoy her food, for example. But I think, you know, for people who smoke cigarettes or who drink or perhaps experimenting with recreational drugs, I think there's definitely people who are prone to it. Yeah. And and I think that there's a way to sort of, with a fuzzy line separating them, there's a difference between chemical dependency, which we know happens with things like nicotine and cocaine and alcohol and and all of those kinds of things. And then there are emotional dependencies, which at their root are also chemical dependencies because it's happening at a neurotransmitter level in the brain, but it's driven more by the emotions of the moment and our ability to manage those emotions and how we cope with those emotions. So in some cases, and the example that I sometimes give is when we were kids, and I think this is a pretty fair generalization for most kids growing up in sort of a a developed world space is that if we ever fell and skinned our knee or something like that or you know had a cut from playing outside and we went in oftentimes you know somebody would give us either a bowl of ice cream or you know something to make us feel better right and so things like that was to soothe our pain when we had celebrations like birthdays and holidays, we would have food to celebrate. And when we had things that we felt bad about, like I said, injuries or heartbreak or something, we would go to food to soothe that. So in both celebration for good things and soothing bad things, we're given food and other people tend to go to other things yeah. that maybe give them more certainty like drugs or alcohol. In your experience, what sort of habits do you see people struggle with? Well, food definitely, because the thing about food is that we all need it. We don't need alcohol. We don't need cigarettes. We don't need recreational drugs. Some people would maybe argue with that. But we don't physiologically need those things. But we do physiologically need food. And so there's this sort of odd danger zone between, you know, what do we actually need physiologically to provide for the macro and micronutrients for our bodies? versus what just we like to have. So, you know, in terms of when somebody feels like they have low blood sugar, you know, they probably need a few grams of carbohydrates to bring their blood sugar back up to normal. I'm not talking about somebody who has diabetes, but just sort of the average person who hasn't eaten in several hours. That would be the equivalent of about five to 10 jelly beans, you know. But you put a bowl of jelly beans in front of somebody and they're not going to eat just five or 10. They're probably going to eat handful after handful. So especially if they are not happy, they're, you know, depressed or sad about something, then those things will make them feel good temporarily. Right. I mean, but there are other forms of, you know, you're talking about substance abuse as sort of an example that sort of transcends just the, you know, the emotional, psychological need for things. But, you know, there are there are other types of addictions. You know, there's people who struggle with addictions to pornography, for example, right, where mm-hmm. for them, they need to see the images. It creates stimulus for them. You know, are there other, I mean, that's an extreme example, but there are other forms of addictions that aren't necessarily necessarily substance addictions. Do you see that? Absolutely. Certainly less frequently than things like food and alcohol and cigarettes, things like those are those would be quite common. But things like pornography, I think that it's kind of weird because I don't know what the statistics are in terms of how many people consume pornography or, you know, consume uh, illicit drugs and things like that, because most people won't admit to it. Right. You know? and even with food, anything that is a self-reporting measure is unreliable typically because people don't want to admit to everything that they're consuming. But I think that with all of these things, they satisfy at some level 
need. And it could be Anthony Robbins would talk about his six human needs, you know, the need for certainty, the need for variety, the need for connection, the need for recognition, and then the two that usually don't happen until much later, which is recognition and growth. And, you know, the idea that when we get that need for certainty, you know, if, if we're feeling uncertain because we just got let go from a job, or especially in this environment with COVID-19, you know, if we've been let go from a job, we don't know if we're going to have money to put food on the table. There's a sense of uncertainty. And that means for some people, less security. And so what we can do is add certainty by doing things like, well, if I have a fill in the blank, drink, smoke, food, whatever, we feel good, even temporarily. And that gives us a sense of control. And so if we can satisfy some of those needs, we feel better, we carry on. So what advice do you have for somebody who sort of identified that they have a problem or there's a habit that they want to shake? What would you tell them? You know, first and foremost, I think that there's, I consistently make a distinction between what I do as a coach and what we train coaches to do with the Certified Coaches Federation and what happens in a more typical psychotherapeutic environment. So there is a fuzzy line in between because there is some overlap, but typically we as coaches deal with the now and what's next and psychotherapy and counseling and so on typically deals with the past up to now. There's some overlap with that, with the now is the overlap and then where we go with that is the overlap. But if someone has something that they suspect is not something that they can control, such as alcohol, drugs, even pornography, gambling, uh, you know. online gaming, gambling, yeah, things yeah. like that, then they should seek support for that. Those are things that typically people cannot untangle by themselves. Even food addiction at its more extreme is something that is very difficult for somebody to untangle. I would certainly recommend that they seek out that additional support. Having said that, what they can get support with either by themselves or with a coach is certainly the things that are within their capability to control. And certainly with food, certainly the desire to, you know, form good habits, and there's a lot of good research around that, is to pick the things you actually want that are either going to simply replace the bad habits or nudge them out because now you don't have time to do those things because you're doing good things. And I presume, you know, the role of the coach is to help with accountability and and sort of uh, structure, right? And helping people sort of do the work they need to do on their own. Yeah? Yeah, accountability is a massive piece as it relates to coaching and the success that a client gets with coaching. The other piece is something that very few people actually get to experience in their lives, which is unrestricted, unbiased support. Because The average person, they have other people in their lives to be a spouse or family members, but those people typically have their own agenda or their own perspective of what should make somebody happy, safe, or secure. But a coach is there to help the client identify what they want, when they want it, and what they need to do to get it, and then put it into a time frame, create a routine, and then keep them accountable to achieving it. Right. And without the sort of baggage of being a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend where there's a pre-existing relationship, right? I mean, like it's completely independent. It's a neutral as opposed to somebody who, as you said, has their own agenda. Yeah. And those agendas are not necessarily bad or nefarious. It just happens to be that, you know, we all grow up in families that would expect us to do certain things or, you know, follow certain careers and things like that. And the same thing with spouses, that there's a certain expectation of, you know, who somebody is, who they were when they were married versus who they are 20 years later. And so as a coach, you know, there's no bias. It's just simply looking at who the person is and who the person wants to become or return to in some cases and help them get there quickly, easily, safely as possible. 
cheering them along the way and the metaphorical kick in the butt every once in a while to keep them on track. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We, we hope to hear from you next month. Will you come back? Absolutely. My pleasure, Jamie. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Wayne Elliott, Shauna Lindzen, Carlisle Jansen, and Rod McDonald. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. During COVID-19, we're suspending distribution of the magazine, but Tonic's generally available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss colon health and your immunity, a four-week home wellness program, mindful social activism, and the natural treatment of allergies. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.